Good morning, South Church. Happy Easter. It'd be good to be worshiping with you this morning. Would you sing with us? Oh, praise the name. I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. His body bound and drenched in tears, they laid him down in Joseph's by heavy stone Messiah still and all alone Oh praise the name Oh praise the name of the Lord our God Oh praise his name
again, lives again, our glorious King. Alleluia. Where, O oh, death, is now thy sting? South Church as we gather today to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is Easter Sunday. It's a little bit different, but it is still going to be a great celebration. And those of you who are guests who are watching this live stream service, we welcome you. We're glad that you're here, and we hope that this service will touch your heart. We always start out Easter services with an ancient tradition. I say, He is risen. And you respond, he is risen indeed. I couldn't hear it, but I know you were saying it. And that is our hope. Indeed, that is what the scriptures declare about the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ. That he is alive. That he gave himself as a sacrifice for our sin. And three days later, he rose from the grave victorious. Putting away our sin. Putting death to death and offering eternal life to anyone who will put their faith and trust in him. Years ago at an Easter celebration service, a family was driving into church to gather with the church. Remember how we used to be able to do that? And as they were coming into church, they were telling their kids in the back seat about the, crisp, or the Easter story, about the life of Jesus, the fact that he lived a perfect life, he was sent from God to be our Savior, that he died on a cross for our sin, and three days later, he rose from the grave. And the dad said to the kids, that's what we're celebrating today. We're going to church today to celebrate Easter. And the little five-year-old in the back of the seat said in a very matter-of-fact way, will we see him at church today? <laughs> well, I hope that's our expectation, whether we are in our house by ourselves or there's some family around us or you're simply gathering as we gather through this technology Christ is in our midst and because of that we rejoice and we're excited I have with me today Jessica Dorr who is the newest staff member uh, at South Church and youngest staff member <laughs> as well uh, she does a lot around the church if you would ask her what her responsibilities are she would say something like everything but she does work with the children she works with the youth she does some work uh, on administration as well and uh, so it's delighted uh, we're delighted to have you here Jess and to share with uh, not only the families especially the kids on this wonderful day of celebration so tell us a little bit about what you teach the kids every week yeah so we use a curriculum called the gospel project and the gospel project takes kids through the entire bible from mm. beginning to end every three years so every three years that a kid is in our ministry attending Sunday school, they will have gone through the whole Bible. And just this March, we finished the Old Testament, and we started the New Testament, so that's a big thing. Fantastic. And I suppose you're enjoying this ministry? 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now, what can parents do in this situation where everyone is quarantined? How can they help their kids? Well, the best thing to do currently is to go download the Lifeway Kids app. Not the Gospel Project app, that's different, but the Lifeway Kids app gives you access to the same curriculum that we're using. And you can pay a dollar for it and get literally everything. Lifeway, excuse me, has done that um, to give us something to give you to do during this time. Um, but they have music, they have the same videos, and they have the same Bible lesson story videos that they, your kids can watch too during this time. Also, if first through fifth graders want the activity pages that come with those things, they can email Heidi Cheney at the church office. Okay, and I imagine the link to Lifeway is on our website as well. I believe it is, or on the Children's Ministry Facebook page. Okay, they should be able out. to find it, yeah. though. Great. Well, Jess, why don't you share with us a little bit, just to the kids, kind of give them a, an Easter message today. Yeah, so absolutely. I'm here especially for the kids out there watching, but parents and families and anyone else, you are welcome to stay and listen as well. So um, before I start, I have with me a couple of boxes. Now I'm not gonna tell you what's in the boxes, but I will reveal it throughout the lesson. So make sure you're listening and paying attention. This yellow box is gonna represent God. And this box, this blue box, the smaller one, is gonna represent people or us. So think of yourself. Okay, so my first question is, how many of you want to live in a world where there's no bad, there's no sickness, um, people don't get hurt, there's no coronavirus or anything like that? It sounds really good, doesn't it? All of us want that. And God has promised that all of, he'll, he's going to get rid of all of the bad things and all of the sicknesses in the world and all of the so evil. One day... Everything evil will be destroyed. He's going to get rid of all the bad things. But there's a problem, because we're part of the picture, too. And we are part of the bad. We make bad decisions, and we hurt other people, and we sin, just like the Israelites. If you think about what we learned in the Old Testament, we learned that God wants to be with us. He wants us to be with him, but we sin, just like the Israelites. So we can't be with him by ourselves. God gave the Israelites instructions to help them choose what is good, but we saw how the Israelites sinned and they messed up and they left God again and again and again and over and over because they wanted to be the ones to decide what was good for themselves. They didn't want to hear it from God. So sometimes we make decisions and we th we, that we think are good for us, but they hurt other people. We like to think that our happiness is what's most important, and that's not what's good. God has said is what's good, and we don't get to decide. So God wants us to be with him, but because God is so good and so holy and perfect, he will destroy anything sinful or bad that comes into his presence. And guess what? We have sin in us. So we can't be in God's presence on our own. We want God to get rid of all of the bad things in the world, but we don't like to get rid of the bad things in us. We're like the Israelites, and we keep on sinning. Because God is good, sin has to be punished. All right? So I have this little red X, and that's going to be our punishment. God doesn't want us to be destroyed. He loves us, so he promised to send someone to save us, a Messiah. Now, I'm going to show you the Messiah in here. So, another box. This box is going to represent the Messiah. So the Messiah was God's promise from the very beginning. Think back to Adam and Eve and Abraham and Jacob and the Israelites through the whole Old Testament— even the prophets we learned about told the people things about who the Messiah would be. God promised that through the Messiah, we could be with him in his presence where everything is good and our sins are forgiven. Now, since you've been gone from Sunday school for a few weeks, and since we just started the New Testament in March a couple weeks ago, I'm going to sum up what you missed. Some of you may know this, so see if you remember, okay? The New Testament starts by telling us about someone named John. 
you said Jesus, you're kind of right. But first John, and John prepared the way for someone named Jesus. Now Jesus seems really important because it gives the whole story of Jesus at the beginning of the New Testament. So that's my quick summary. And now I'm going to skip ahead in Jesus' life since today is a special day. Today we celebrate God's promise from the very beginning, okay? But if you want to know more about what happens in Jesus' life, you can read your Bible and you can watch the Bible lesson videos on the Lifeway Kids app. I'm going to tell you the reason that Jesus is important in the Bible, especially in the New Testament. Jesus is important because Jesus was the Messiah that God promised since the very beginning. In the Bible, it says even though Jesus never did anything wrong, it says that he loved people that other people didn't like. He loved everyone. Even though he never did anything wrong, he was arrested one day and brought before someone named the high priest. Now, the high priest ran the temple where people worshiped God. And the high priest got to read the books of the Old Testament every day. So he got to hear about God's promise every day. And he should have recognized that Jesus was the Messiah that God promised. But instead, he got really angry and he came up to Jesus and he said, tell us if you're the Messiah. And Jesus said, you have said it. Well, the high priest didn't want to believe it. So he said that Jesus had to be killed. Soldiers beat Jesus, and they took him before the Roman governor. His name was Pilate. A crowd of people followed Jesus there. They were shouting, shouting things like, kill him and crucify him. They didn't want him to live because he claimed to be the Messiah. So Pilate looked at them and said to Jesus, well, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, you have said it. So Pilate handed Jesus over to the crowd to do with what they wanted to do, and they wanted to kill him. So they beat him, they put thorns on his head, and they nailed him to a cross. Right before Jesus died, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Forsaken means to leave someone all alone without any help at all. God had turned away from Jesus because when Jesus died, he had agreed to take the punishment for all of us, all of the sin, for all of the world, for all of time. When Jesus died, there was an earthquake, and the curtain in the temple tore in half. God did this to show that because of Jesus, there was a way that we could finally be with him and have our sins forgiven. And I'm going to tell you what that is in just a second. Well, three days after Jesus died he was, and he was buried, some women came to his tomb. They were looking to um, ceremonially uh, anoint Jesus. But an angel appeared all of a sudden and said, He's not here. He's risen. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. The women looked around. They didn't see Jesus. So they left and Jesus appeared to them. Then Jesus appeared to the disciples, and Jesus showed himself to many, many more people after that to show that he was alive again. Jesus had never sinned. He didn't have the same sin in us that we do. He doesn't have any of that. He had never messed up. So although he really did die, the punishment that he took for us couldn't actually destroy him and keep him dead. And because he was God's son, God raised him from the dead so that he could come back and show us that he was alive again because he loved us. Because Jesus chose to take our punishment, we can choose to give him our sinful lives. Now, this isn't a great gift, is it? But it is a choice that you can make. You can choose to give Jesus your sinful life. And in giving Jesus your sinful life, he gives you something in return. He takes your punishment, and he gives you a gift. He takes all of your bad choices in life, and he gives you a prize. That doesn't seem fair, does it? But Jesus loves you so much 
that he's willing to do that. And Jesus gets a prize because he lived a perfect life, because he never messed up. God gave him the prize of spending eternity in God's presence, where there is no bad at all, where everything is good, where you are loved and complete. And this is a choice that everyone can make between these two things. In the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 30, verses 19 through 20, God says to his people, Today I have given you a choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Oh, that you might choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing yourself firmly to him. He is the key to your life. Romans 10, 19 in the New Testament says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved and you will get to spend eternity in God's presence. We celebrate Jesus coming to life on Easter. He is God's promise to us since the very beginning. And Easter is a good reminder that you can choose to believe in God's promise. Thanks for listening. I miss you all, and I can't wait until we can see each other again. I believe in the sun. I believe in the risen one. I believe I overcome by the power of his blood. Amen. Amen. I'm alive. I'm alive because he Scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Matthew and from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. 
After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel, you're saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, unless you've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. This is what we preach, and this is what you believed. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, I pray that you will help us today to grow in the strength of our belief in these great truths, the great reality of the resurrection, and to grow in our trust in our risen Savior and Lord. We rejoice today that his resurrection guarantees that in the end, after the sufferings of Good Friday and the waiting and confusion and sorrows of Saturday, that the victory of Resurrection Sunday will be finally shared by all who have put their hope in you. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that you have sent to help us live now in trust and devotion in this time between the times, in our own Saturday of waiting until the final day of our resurrection and rejoicing in the presence of our fully triumphant Savior. And so now we ask for your grace and mercy, your help and healing, especially for those we know in our own number and others who are sick and those who are sorrowing. We ask again your sustaining strength for those who are serving so bravely to help bring that healing to others. We ask again for your wisdom and strength for our leaders, for our president and his team, for our, government, our governor, and for leaders around the nation and around the world. And now, Lord, we pray that you will give us ears to hear the word, the message of hope and joy that we need to receive and believe today and every day the good news of our risen and reigning Savior, it's in his name that we pray. Amen. It's difficult for us to imagine how discouraged those disciples were right after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And things didn't improve when, after a silent, agonizing Sabbath, news reached them on the first day of the week that the tomb in which Jesus was buried was empty. No one was rejoicing. Let me say it again. No one was rejoicing. All of the disciples were beside themselves. They were frantic with fear. They were hiding. They were dispersed. And the Bible tells us that that fear lingered even after the resurrection of Jesus Christ because they didn't understand all that was going on. That's why I think it's very unjust for us to pick one disciple out of the group and call that person 
a doubter. Let me encourage you to open your Bibles, if you have them handy, to John's Gospel, chapter 20, and we'll get a sense of the grim situation, even on the first day of the week, when people didn't quite understand what was happening. We read in John 20 and verse 1, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, just before dawn, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. And that shocked her. There were other women with her, but they went running to Peter and to John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, as he's described here in verse 2. And they said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we, we don't know where they placed the body. That's quite an accusation. Who is the they? Is it the Roman authorities, the guards, the Jewish leaders, grave robbers? <laughs> Whatever it was, she wasn't thinking resurrection. Someone took the body. So Peter and John go running at, at, to the tomb with her. And when they arrive at the tomb, they see that the stone is rolled away. They peer inside and notice that it's empty. They see the grave clothes laid out in such a way that it appears the body just vaporized. <laughs> and the clothes, the linen, they were neatly wrapped and in their place. And so the Bible tells us here when they saw all of this, they actually investigated a little bit. And this is verse 8 of John 20. It says, they went inside, and John believed. I'm not exactly sure what he believed. Maybe believed that the body was gone. Maybe he did have a sense of the resurrection. But as we're going to see, John was still battling discouragement later on. Verse 9 sets the record straight. It says, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to die and rise from the dead. They, all of them, still did not understand what had taken place. They all had forsaken Christ when he died. They all went into hiding, and they were all confused at this early news. Now, if you go to verse 10, it says that the disciples went back home. They went back to the room where they were staying, but Mary lingered at the tomb. And as she lingered, she saw a person there whom she thought was the gardener. And, and she said, as she was crying, she said in answer to the question, why are you crying? They have taken him away. She still didn't get it. And then as he began to talk with her and said, Mary, she recognized the voice and said, Rabboni, and Mary Magdalene saw Jesus. It's important for us as we see the gospel account that the Lord revealed himself first to the women. And it was the women who first came to the tomb bold enough to be identified with what had taken place to their master and to their savior. Jesus says in verse 17, don't hold on to me. I have to go to the Father, but go and tell the disciples, tell the brothers that I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. In other words, Jesus hadn't rejected his disciples, even though everyone had turned their backs on him. In verse 18, Mary goes to talk to the disciples. I've seen the Lord, she says. Here's the first courageous, vibrant witness of the resurrection from someone who believes and wants to tell others. She's seen the Lord. The Bible tells us in Luke 24, when the disciples heard this, they said it was nonsense. <laughs> Remember the two individuals, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, also Luke 24? When they encountered Jesus Christ, they just spoke of discouragement. Why are you so sad? Have you not heard, they said to him, not knowing it was Jesus. Have you not heard what's going on in Jerusalem? Jesus, our Messiah, we were hoping that he would set up the kingdom, but they've killed him and buried him, and they put a period after that statement. Now, it seems as though that the Christian's favorite pastime is discouragement. 
and doubt. The Bible tells us they all forsook him, they all were hiding, and they were all confused. And so I want to make this point, and hear me clearly. All believers struggle with doubt sometimes. The best of believers struggle with doubt. I love the quotation from the famous English preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He said, I do not believe that there ever existed a Christian yet who did not now and then doubt his interest in Jesus. I think when a man says, I've never doubted, it is quite time for us to doubt him. <laughs> Spurgeon said, I doubt the man who's never doubted. And even the venerable John Calvin said, surely we cannot imagine any certainty that is not tinged with doubt or any assurance that is not assailed by some anxiety. Dear Christian friend, do you struggle with doubt? It is universal. All of us have that experience where we battle with our own faith at times, and times like this, when there's a pandemic, when there's a crisis, sometimes our doubts get the better of us. A Christian writer, Madeline uh, Lengel, not sure I pronounced that last name right, but I love her quote. She said, the minute we begin to think we know all the answers, we forget the questions. We become smug like the Pharisee who listed all his considerable virtues and thanked God that he was not like other men. Those who believe, they believe in God, but without passion in heart, without anguish of mind, without uncertainty or doubt, and even at times without despair, believe only in the idea of God and not in God himself. So, if you're struggling with the doubts and struggling at times with your faith, Understand that you're in good company. We notice that these struggling disciples, according to verse 19, now we go from the morning and midday of Easter Sunday to the evening. It's the evening of the first day of the week, verse 19 says. And the disciples were together and the doors were locked. Let me emphasize a couple words in that wonderful statement, and they are emphasized on the screen behind me. All disciples or believers struggle sometimes. Here's the best disciples hiding in a room. The room is locked, bolted, barred, chained, a door pressed, a chair pressed behind the door. Whatever you can think to secure it, they are scared to death. They got news of the empty tomb and they were convinced that they were going to be accused of it. The blame would be pinned on them. They were going to be hunted down. And they were frightened and fearful in hiding. Fear is evidence of a lack of faith. Sometimes fear is evidence of misunderstanding or ignorance. But sometimes fear is a lack of faith in what we know to be true. And we need to go back to the scriptures, which are true. Jesus said, my word is truth. Go back to the truth and encourage your soul. Embolden your spirit and let the doubts face the great truth of scripture. The Bible tells us that while they were hiding there because of fear... Jesus appeared wonderfully, suddenly, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. And I want you to get this point very clearly. Jesus appears to us in the midst of our struggles in mercy. It's the mercy of Jesus. It's the love of Christ that brings him to weak, doubting disciples like us. On the day in which we should be so encouraged and so lifted up and so strong, Jesus appears and he says, peace. That comes from that great Hebrew word, shalom, 
peace in all its dimensions there's a physical wholeness there's a mental wholeness an emotional stability a spiritual strength a contentment of soul because we're trusting in the prince of peace who has secured our peace by satisfying the justice of god on our behalf the bible tells us before the cross this was the message of christ to his disciples few chapters earlier in john's gospel chapter 14 he told them that he was they he was going to be leaving and they were troubled but in verse 27 he said peace i leave with you peace i give to you i don't give you peace like the world gives so don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid i'm giving you the gift of peace in chapter 16, when he gave the great discourse to his disciples, sometimes called the upper room discourse, that was the subject of his message often. Verse 33, I've told you these things so that in me you will have peace. In this world, you're going to have trouble, persecution, difficulties, disease, death, tragedies. But take heart, I've overcome the world. There's a better kingdom coming than the one we are in right now. It's the eternal kingdom, and we're to seek first that kingdom, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You see, God wants his children to be characterized not by confusion, but peace. J.C. Ryle put it so well, we can safely conclude that Jesus intended peace to be the keynote of the Christian message. Peace with God and the peace of God ruling our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Are you a person who possesses peace? And are you a peacemaker? The keynote of the message for the believer is this wonderful peace. Now notice Jesus initiates this visibility, this appearance, and he also, verse 20, shows them his hands and his side. The wounds of Christ, they're not scars, they're wounds. They're not bleeding, but they're apparent. The only one who will be wounded in heaven is Jesus. Why? Well, so they would know that it was him. So that they could see that his body was real, glorified, yes, but real. So their hearts would be filled with peace. So that we would ever, forever remember the great sacrifice and love that Jesus displayed on our behalf to save us from sin and make us his children wesley put it so well five bleeding wounds he bears received on calvary they pour effectual prayers they strongly plead for me forgive him oh forgive they cry forgive him oh forgive they forgive they cry nor let that ransomed sinner The wounds of Jesus are so precious to the believer because it shows the extent of his love and he'll have those wounds forever. By the way, those wounds will become a terror to those who reject Jesus. They're precious to those who believe but they speak of judgment to those who reject him. In the book of Zechariah, chapter 12, verse 10, when Jesus comes again, it says that the people of Jerusalem, Jerusalem will look upon him whom they have pierced, and they will mourn as for a son, firstborn. They will greatly grieve because they rejected Messiah and did not know the time of God's visitation, as it says in Luke 19. So Jesus initiates, I want you to know that he initiates this visibility, this object lesson. He shows them his wounds. 
He tells them again in verse 21 that peace is the keynote, and he gives them purpose and direction, and he gives them power by giving them the Holy Spirit, and they are overjoyed, verse 20. They now get it. And they say the very same thing that Mary Magdalene said. We've seen the Lord. We've seen him and our hearts are encouraged. He is alive. Grab hold of that truth. But in verse 24, we read these words. Now, Thomas, who is also called Didymus, Thomas is Aramaic, Didymus is Greek. They both mean the same thing, twin. And when I read the story of Thomas, I often think I'm his twin. Again, I think it's unfortunate that we make Thomas the only guy whose name is prefaced with that adjective, doubting. Doubting. They were all doubting. Oh, but here is one who doubted maybe more than some of the others. He was not with the disciples that night when Jesus came. And you ask the question, why? I think it's partly his disposition. Which leads me to say that although all believers struggle with doubt sometimes, some believers struggle with doubt almost all the time, a lot of the time. It's partly their disposition. We don't know a whole lot about Thomas before this account, but there are a couple verses that give us some clue into his personality. In chapter 11 of John's gospel, verse 16, when Jesus said, we're going to Judea, Lazarus is dead, and that whole account, Thomas said, okay, we're going to go with you and die with you. <laughs> he's a bit pessimistic, but he's courageous. He's loyal. He's willing to go and die with Jesus. That's a great quality trait. But there's that little bit of pessimism, perhaps. Let's get it over with. Let's just go and die. He was the disciple who spoke his mind. I like that about him. He didn't try to pretend he was something other than he really was. He didn't try to say all is well when it's not. You know, you ask someone, how are you feeling? And they say, oh, fine, when they're not. When are we going to be honest? How are you doing spiritually? Oh, great, are you really? Some of you are prone to doubting. And apparently Thomas was one of those. In John's Gospel, chapter 14, when Jesus talked about leaving and he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. That great verse in verse 6, Thomas is the one who spoke up. He was the spokesman for the group, and he says, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? <laughs> I don't know if Thomas was a little slow to grasp spiritual truth, but as we've noticed this morning, all the believers were. Jesus told him time and time again he was going to Jerusalem to die, he would be crucified, mistreated by the leaders. Three days later, he would rise from the dead, and none of them got it, even after the resurrection at the very beginning. You know, it's possible that Thomas wasn't with the other disciples because he just emotionally couldn't handle it. I don't know, maybe he was going to disassociate from those disciples, but maybe that climactic event of the cross totally overwhelmed, overwhelmed him that catastrophe all the disciples were hoping that he would establish the kingdom and he died we cannot begin to imagine how discouraged they were but we know what discouragement is and maybe this one event was just so overwhelming for someone like Thomas that he couldn't handle it. His personality was part of the problem. There are some people who take misfortune with a grain of salt. and They go on seemingly without much trouble, although inwardly they often struggle. But there are some of us who are derailed and doubt almost kills us. And an event like COVID-19 
Where is God, we say? How could this happen when a loving God is in control of the world and this one event contradicts everything we've believed before and we forget the truth of God's promises. We forget the sovereignty of God. We forget to trust. And like Peter walking on the water, we get our eyes on the waves and not the Savior, and we are beginning to sink in doubt. I think Thomas was frustrated, and while we don't know the real reason why why he wasn't with the other disciples, he missed a rich blessing. And you know, he agonized for a whole week while all the other disciples were telling everyone, we've seen the Lord. By the way, you say, well, Thomas should have believed those disciples when they said, we've seen the Lord. Yeah, he should have, but the disciples should have believed Mary Magdalene when she said, I've seen the Lord, but they didn't. So Thomas, to his credit, is at church next Sunday night. The very first Sunday in which they're commemorating the resurrection of Christ, Thomas is there. This is verse 26. It's a week later. They're in the same place. Thomas is with them. The doors are still locked. Isn't that interesting? And Jesus appears. I want you to know, my friend, that Jesus appears in mercy. Once again, he appears in mercy, this time to Thomas. It's sudden. It's amazing grace. And it's the same message. Peace I give to you. My peace I give to you. I think the second appearance here of Jesus Christ is not only merciful, but it's intended entirely for Thomas. Ah, We can't say for sure whether Jesus would have appeared, but I can tell you this much. He's doing the very same thing he did for the other disciples. Now, Jesus heard the requirements that Thomas had made. Remember when the disciples told him, we've seen the Lord, and Thomas said, unless I see those nail prints and I put my fingers in the wound i will not believe in fact the greek is very emphatic i will never believe until i see and there's a lot of you out there like that you're of a scientific bent perhaps you like investigation and facts but you haven't investigated the facts around the resurrection because if you would with an open mind you would see that they are overwhelming Oh, you're quick to disbelieve something miraculous because you don't want to believe. That's unbelief. But look at the facts. It's been argued in court. It's been debated on university campuses. And the resurrection of Christ wins because that's where the evidence lies. He is alive. Peace, he said to the whole group and Then he said to Thomas in verse 27, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand, put it in my side. And then he says, stop being an unbeliever, stop doubting, and start being a believer. (laughs) Now I think Thomas was a real believer, but like many of us, we say, I believe, help my unbelief. My faith was so much stronger last week. It was so much stronger last year. And now it seems to be dissolving in the midst of this crisis. My friend, God hasn't changed. Jesus is still on the throne. And he comes to us in mercy. You say, well, Thomas didn't deserve it. The disciples didn't deserve it either. None of us deserve the mercy of God. That's why it's called mercy. It's his kindness given to those who don't deserve it. So if you happen to be one of those like Thomas, and we've acknowledged the fact that all believers struggle with doubt, but you happen to be one of those who struggle with doubt a lot of the time, here's your patron saint, Thomas. That's why he's in the Bible, I think. He's the example so that you can see the mercy and the grace of God for you as well, not just for the normal disciple but for you. Think of the summary of 
the life of Thomas, the Thomas Chronicles, just for a moment. He was a convert. He was actually one of the 12 chosen by Jesus and followed him all of those years, ministering, serving, and I'm sure doing well. But he was confused, a little slow to grasp truth, and that confusion led to a frustration in his heart. He seemed to be always a little off balance. And then he was crushed, crushed by the cross. A devastating tragedy that it didn't look like he would recover from. Some of you have lost loved ones, you've lost children, spouses. You just found out you have a horrible disease, and it is crushing. And I don't mean to minimize that at all. You're feeling in this quarantine like you're going to go stir crazy, and I understand that, but my friend, don't be crushed by the circumstances when Jesus is the king of the world. And his promises ring true today, ever true. Thomas was crushed, and then he became cautious. When you've been burnt, you're always an arm or two, an arm's length away from the rest of the group. How ironic is it that Thomas was an absentee from the fellowship of the disciples that first Sunday night because he didn't want to be around others when that's the very thing he needed. When you and I are low and crushed, we need the fellowship of other believers. And since we can't get together in actual real presence, let's call, let's encourage, let's write notes. But Thomas was cautious. Unless I see, unless I touch, and Jesus condescends to his level. And then Thomas is convinced. Look at verse 28. Thomas said to Jesus, my Lord and my God. That is a miracle for a Jew to call a human being God. Those two terms are basically interchangeable. The word Lord is used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament as the covenant name of Jehovah. And what this portion of Scripture gives us liberty to do is to call Jesus with a very wonderful divine name that we use for the holy God of heaven because Jesus is God incarnate. This is an amazing confession. By the way, did you notice that the Gospel of John started with this same confession? the pre-existing state of the Son of God who would come. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. Jesus is God. Now you come basically to the end of the Gospel of John, and like a bookend, finishing off his message, you have this wonderful confession, my Lord and my God, Jesus is God. And he conquered death, and he gives life to all who believe. And that's why we are so excited today. So my friend, take hope. Tradition tells us that Thomas was truly convinced. He, he went to Parthia as a missionary, to Persia and India, started a church in Kerala. And tradition tells us he was martyred in Madras. The Indian church looks to Thomas as the one who brought the gospel to their continent. Amazing what God can do with weak people who by faith turn to him. Now why this story in the gospel? Well, John makes it abundantly clear, does he not? Verse 30, Jesus performed many other miracles and signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. In other words, I've intentionally included these for a specific purpose, and here it is, verse 31. These miracles and signs are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by, by believing you might have life in his name. What do you get when you believe in Jesus Christ? Well, your sins are taken away. You're made right with God. And according to this chapter, 
you have peace and life that never ends. My friend, stop doubting, but believe. Many years ago, in the 1920s, a man by the name of Nikolai Bukharin was sent in, from Russia, from Moscow to Kiev to address an anti-God rally. For an hour, he abused and ridiculed the Christian faith, making it seem foolish and useless. It's like some of the modern atheists try to do today. It's as if the whole structure of Christianity would fall into ruins. And then he opened the meeting up for questions. And a man, a man of faith in the back, rose his hand and said, Do I have permission to speak? And Nikolai said, Yes, you can. And he stood up and he faced the people. And he said, He is risen. And at that moment, everyone in the audience stood up and said, He is risen indeed. And that ruined the whole rally. The resurrection of Jesus Christ ruins the work of the devil and gives peace and life to all who believe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is my prayer that some hearing these words today, the kids who listen to Jessica's message and the adults too, who've heard the words that have been sung in these wonderful songs, heard the scripture read from Pastor Doug and as he took us to the throne of grace, and now the words from John's gospel, it is our prayer that some who've never believed in Christ would believe with all of their heart, and that those who believe would take courage and lose their doubts in the sea of belief because Jesus is alive. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, as we draw to a close this morning, let us, we want to encourage you to keep 
connecting with us through our website, especially at southlife.org. There you can get updates and information and ways to stay connected, including our grocery project, Pastor Don's uh, daily devotional. And also we thank you for your encouragement, the way that you continue to give uh, by mail is really the easiest way to do that. There are other ways on the website as well. We invite you back for our live stream tonight as we continue to think about the resurrection of Jesus and its real meaning for us in our lives and in our situations and circumstances today. Permit me a personal moment just to say Happy Easter to my mom. Couldn't be there with her. That's the situation a lot of us are in today. So I thought my greeting could kind of stand in and symbolize uh, what a lot of us are thinking and feeling today. Let me close with a benediction from the book of Hebrews. Now may the God of peace, may the God of peace through the blood, through, through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. The Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen.